What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to Optimize Your Success. I am Jack Scott, the Chief Operations Officer at The Mentor Project, and I'm excited to introduce your host and a mentor at The Mentor Project, Dr. Ruth Godion. Dr. Godian is an expert in the field of high performers. Each week, she uses a live panel filled with high performers to discuss different topics while posing challenging questions to each of the panelists. You are able to hear from each of these panelists about their challenges. You will learn how they overcame these challenges so they could excel and reach high achievement within their life. This is a podcast you don't want to miss. We're excited you're here with us today. Welcome to Optimizing Your Success. Welcome to Optimizing Your Success. I am Dr. Ruth Gotian, and once again, I have brought my high-achieving friends to talk about their path to success. And today, we're going to focus on something that some people have been talking about, but I thought... Who better to talk about this than a three-time Olympian? Now, as people who watch the show or listen to our podcast know that I always say, if an Olympian has a coach, why do we think that us mere mortals don't need one? And I really wanted to dive into this a little bit to see really what it is and how the Olympians value their coach. What are some of the things that the rest of us can do in our world in order to make ourselves better? And one of the things that I have really found out from talking to all the high achievers is they all surround themselves with people who can make them better. And they see the feedback not as criticism, but as an opportunity for enhancement. So during our time together, pretend that you are an Olympic athlete and we are going to get information on how it is that they got to be so successful. So we are in for a real treat. First, we're going to do a very quick round robin to find out who our special guests are today, starting with Dr. Susan Burnstone. And remember, short intros, like a tweet. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Susan Burnstone. I am thrilled to be here. I have over 35 years in the field of mental, psychological, relationship health, and I'm also doing television talk show, producer, and hosting some TV shows and podcasting, and I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. And Susan's doing a lot of the um, television shows for The Mentor Project, who hosts us each and every week, and many of the high achievers who are here on the show are also volunteer mentors with the Mentor Project. Jana Marie Tutalman. Good evening. I'm uh, the Catalyst for Clarity and founder of the Crystal Clear Coaching Program, and I guide women leaders and entrepreneurs to be very clear, crystal clear, about their convictions so they can become more effective and influential in their personal life and their business life. Beautiful. Thank you. Dr. Neil Cummins. Hello. Hi. 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 I, I am an astronomer and astrophysicist. Uh, I teach 
And I also try very hard to help people overcome misconceptions they have about the natural world. That's one of my uh, major goals, and, and, and I'm very actively doing it. In fact, I have almost every week I give a talk to a different group on that subject. And when I heard your talk, I found the shocking news that I am not a Sagittarius, as I thought I was. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Allison Escalante. Hi, um, I'm uh, a pediatrician and uh, I teach uh, at Rush Medical School. Um, I'm also uh, on a mission. I'm out to get anxiety. Um, I think we live in a culture of constant criticism uh, that pushes us to this perfectionistic, constant, anxious, grinding performance. It's burning us out as professionals and parents. Um, So I came up with a method to help. I presented it at TEDx. I'm currently working on the book about the should storm that drives us uh, with constant shoulds. Um, I write about the science of human performance for Forbes and life in the world of anxiety for psychology today. Thank you. Dr. Bruce Wiley. Yes, hi, Ruth. Happy to be here. Um, I am a writer, journalist. I cover health and healthcare for Forbes. I'm a professor. I do AI work, digital health work, and I want to make it clear I am not a cat. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And Bruce answers all of our COVID questions, and we pepper him with a lot of those. So thank you for your eternal patience for all of our questions. Susie Katz. Hi, I'm very happy to be here again. I think this is a wonderful program. Um, I am a photographer. I have been uh, since I could stand up practically. And I realized years ago that the skills that the best photographers in the world have can be utilized for social, emotional learning and executive function skills in work and life. So I created something called Photo Wings. And uh, we utilize the knowledge of photography uh, outside of uh, the world of photography, communication, people getting to know one another better and such. I love it. And, you know, I just wrote this weekend One of the sentences that you keep saying on this show every week, I actually wrote it into my upcoming book, The Success Factor, where you were talking about a mentor may not teach you something that you can't figure out on your own, but they'll save you a lot of time. So that made its way. Thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you. And our special guest this week, Ryan. Hi, everybody. It's good to be here. Thanks, Ruth, for the invite. This is amazing. It's good to the panel. I, uh, my name is Ryan Millar. Uh, I am a three-time Olympian. Uh, uh, I'm an Olympic gold medalist in the sport of volleyball and uh, originally from Southern California and have worked the last almost nine years as a senior partner for a global change management firm as a consultant. Uh, we work with organizations on helping them uh, strengthen their organizational culture by helping them create and transition to a culture of accountability. And uh, coaching, mentoring is a big part of what we do. So I'm, I'm excited about the conversation. I'm really excited. And thank you so much for joining us. So Ryan and I first met when I wrote a piece about him for Forbes, and he found his way in his story 
uh, into my book. And I thought it was such a great story that I invited him to be on the show and really share it because I think there's so many lessons how you can start from playing volleyball in your backyard when you were dragged by your big brother to making it to not one, not two, but three Olympic Games and winning the coveted gold medal. Ryan, are you willing to share your story? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Where do I start? How much time do I have? (laughs) (laughs) Well, start at the beginning, maybe when your brother dragged you out. Yeah, you know, I grew up in the Mecca of volleyball in the U.S., which is Southern California. And um, I started playing when I was about 11 years old. And I wasn't really interested in the sport at all. At that time, I was much more into other sports. I I was playing track and I was playing basketball. And uh, my older brother, John, started playing volleyball in high school and he needed someone to to beat up on. And so who better than his little brother? And so he said, hey, you're going to start playing volleyball. And so I was little brother I said okay and I was interested in playing another sport and funny enough I I gravitated towards the sport very quickly Um, what's interesting is my freshman year of high school I was five foot ten which isn't overly tall but not short but it wasn't overly tall but then my sophomore year of high school I was six foot four so I grew the six inches in one year and then my junior year of high school I was six foot seven So I grew nine inches in two years, which obviously helped a little bit in my development of becoming a a good player. Um, Those those two years, I really took a a big leap forward in my developmental skills uh, and then went on and played uh, collegiate volleyball, won a national title in in college, and then immediately went and played on the U.S. national team where we uh, qualified for the Sydney Olympic Games, which was my first Olympics in 2000. And uh, and then went on and competed in Athens in 04. And then in Beijing in 08 is where we won the Olympic gold medal. What, what's really interesting about that progression was that my first Olympic Games, we were ranked fifth in the world, I think, when we went into those games in Sydney. And we were feeling pretty optimistic about our chances of meddling. And uh, we dramatically underperformed. In fact, we didn't win a single match. We, we lost every single match and finished and tied for last place. And um, I can still remember the flight home from Sydney thinking, did I make the right choice getting into this? Because this doesn't feel very good, Um, but stuck with it. And uh, fast forward four years in Athens and we're competing for the bronze medal. Uh, Unfortunately, lost to a very good Russian team in those games and took fourth. But we were kind of on our way to, to doing something special. Um, fast forward another four years uh, and in Beijing uh, went into those games with some pretty tragic circumstances. Um, I don't know if a lot of your listeners will remember this. Some Olympic fans probably will because it was a major international story at the time. But two days before our first match in Beijing, our head coach's wife, his mother-in-law and his father-in-law were out sightseeing in Beijing where um, they went to a, a, a tourist attraction called the Drum Tower, where you take an elevator to the top of the tower and you kind of, there's a platform where you can overlook the city of Beijing. And uh, they were there with a tour guide and they they exited the elevator at the top of the, the platform and, and a, a crazed Chinese local person uh, jumped out of the shadows and started to attack them with a 12-inch knife and murdered our head coach's father-in-law at the scene, stabbed his mother-in-law multiple times, um, stabbed their tour guide, 
Luckily enough, his wife was far enough away that she was uninjured uh, and then proceeded to jump off the tower and committed suicide. And so you can kind of imagine what's going through the tragedy that our, that our head coach's family is going through, but then the impact that that had on our psyche and our ability to go perform. We had our first match coming up in two days. This was the day before the opening ceremonies when this happened. And so um, it was, it was pretty incredible. First of all, we kind of came together and realized as a team that we were not going to have a head coach during the Olympics because things are bigger than the Olympics and volleyball at that time. Obviously he needs to take care of his family. He needs to take care of the things that are important to life at that point. And so um, we, we just decided that, Hey, we're going to go together and go out there and play as hard as we could. And you guys know the the story now, but we actually ended up those Olympic games undefeated. We did not lose a single match and went on and won the Olympic gold medal. And so there's a, there's a, I was at a conference once and this always stuck with me because it always kind of takes me back to that time. It was a, it was a quote that somebody um, quoted from a Navy SEAL captain. And the the quote was this, um, the, the Navy SEAL captain said under times of pressure, and he's talking about being a Navy SEAL under times of pressure, we as Navy SEALs don't rise to the occasion. You know, normally you hear a lot of people say, wow, you, you really overcame that. You must have rose to the occasion. He's saying that people don't, we don't rise to the occasion. We sink to our level of training and preparation. That's why we train so hard as Navy SEALs. Because when the time comes, we have to know that we're, that we're not going to need to rise to the occasion. We just simply sink to our preparation. And, and that, that quote really struck me in, during that time because our coach was masterful at preparing us to do what needed to be done at that time in Beijing to be successful, even during times of tragic circumstance. And so when I think back on that time, it wasn't that we rose to this great occasion and that we played better than we ever have to go on and win this gold medal. We just simply sank to the level of our training and preparation at that time. And we ended up executing the right way to be successful. So um, th- that's kind of a long story short, but, but a really interesting version of, uh, of the totality of kind of my Olympic journey. That is some journey that I'm trying to wrap my head around this because you trained, but you know, you also previously trained and then this for the other two Olympics and then this horrific thing happens. You don't train for that. There's nothing in your training to prepare you for that. So what did you do as a team? You know, a lot of people asked us if we like came together in honor of our coach's family, if there was any of that going, like we played for them, you know what I mean? And I don't remember that specifically. I do remember coming together as a team and simply acknowledge something that's really powerful when people can do this is simply acknowledging the reality that's fronted, that's, that's in front of them. Oftentimes we don't try to acknowledge the reality that's actually there, but we were actually, we faced it head on. We looked and we said, this is a difficult situation. This is a hard circumstance. And it's at no fault of our own. It's no fault of our coaches. When we've got a decision to make, we can either let this tragic circumstance define our progress, define the performance we're about to, to try to put on, or we can, we can figure out how to, to go out there and play our best volleyball and do what we need to do to be able to be successful. And, Luckily enough, we had a, a, a seasoned enough team of veterans and guys that had kind of been around a little while mixed in with some of fresh new talent 
that were able to kind of overcome that particular situation and focus on the task at hand, even recognizing all of the difficulty that was going on. Wow. And was there anyone there to help you process everything that was going on? I mean, I know from the from the our conversations that we've had is that you are really good. You are a master at compartmentalizing everything. And I suspect, I don't know, tell me if I'm wrong, that your teammates are the same way. You have to when you're playing at that stage. Is that what you did at this situation or who was helping you with all of that? Yeah, I mean, right. Right, right. I would say you're spot on. You know, when you're at that level, the Olympics only comes every once every four years and you don't get very many chances, most people. And so you've got to seize the chance that you've got. And so being uh, 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 having the ability to compartmentalize situations like the gravity of the Olympics added on with the complexity of a tragedy was was not easy to do. But I think we just rallied together. And for me personally, my ability to kind of What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Put that situation in its, in its box, which is what you kind of do when you compartmentalize. You kind of take your situation and say, look, I'm acknowledging that this happened, but but this is in its box and, and my performance is in this box and dealing with my family who's also over there is in another box. And it, 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 that way you don't have to deal with everything at the same time which as you could probably imagine is pretty mm-hmm. hard to do. I only have to deal with this box at when I need to deal with that box. And, and then I can go and deal with this box. And so I, I think a lot of high caliber, high performing athletes are, are typically really good at compartmentalizing because they've got so many things that they've got to focus on for so long and for so, and for, for, for a lot of the time that it, becomes a little unruly if, you, if you're not able to just kind of put everything in its place and deal with it at, at its right time. And, and I think we did that. Look, the USOC is always really good at providing us with, with uh, support as we need it, which they, which they really did. They stepped up to a great degree in Beijing to allow us and our families to be comfortable and, and really just focus on the task at hand. And, um, you know, for our coach, his his mother-in-law went through some life-saving surgeries in Beijing. She had been stabbed seven wow. times and um, eventually kind of pulled through. And what was really interesting was that they had her in a medically con- induced coma and she came out of the coma when she was starting to recover and she was in the ICU and they were all there while she came out. And funny enough, one of the first things she says to our coach when she sees him there is, why are you here? Why aren't you with the team? 
see, you can kind of see where her mind frame is. And for us, that was really powerful because we're like, man, oh man, like, because they were in Beijing specifically for us. They were fans of us. They wanted to see him be successful and the team be successful. And after some, you know, he's, he's saying, look, mom, you know, this is, there's a lot more important things in volleyball right now. And she's like, no, no, I'll be fine. You need to go back to the team. And so luckily he, he reluctantly came back and was actually with us during the medal round, which is the quarterfinals, the semifinals, and then the gold medal match. But what was um, really interesting and, you know, I'm talking a lot here, but after after the last point goes down for the gold medal, NBC kind of like goes immediately to him, right? Because there's this big story and he's been through this big thing. And he kind of is hugging and celebrating with the coaching staff. And then you can see him need to take a little bit of a moment. So he, so he walks back into a tunnel, which he thought he was alone. But of course, they're right on him. And you just see him immediately break down because you, you can imagine the – the, the pull of emotions between ag- ag- like this super high of highs and then the low of lows all hitting you at the same time. And, um, and it was just really tough, but, but uh, it's something that I couldn't relate to at the moment, but um, just seeing it kind of on his face and the anguish mixed with the, the, the elation was an interesting set of emotions to kind of better to understand. It's so interesting because of all the conversations that I've had with these extreme high achievers, as you said, the compartmentalizing is so important, but so is the controlling what you can control. And the only thing you were able to control at that point was your game. Right. That was it. And maybe your coach, the same thing at one point, he could only, you know, he can control the game. He could, he could feel what he feels for the win. But then after that, that was, things changed, right? But for you guys, the the team, you were able to control what you could control under these circumstances. And the only thing that you had any control over right then was playing your best. Right. That was it. That was all you could control. Yeah. Susan, I'm dying to hear from you. This is totally your area. Oh, you know, first of all, oh my goodness, right? I'm like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. One of the things, though, that you said that resonated for me in terms of my work with people that I want to really underscore, because people don't do this enough, and I'm always talking about this, is that you actually said you had to acknowledge what happened. And then you were able to put it in the box. And too often, we, and I'll say we, we all do this, when we're faced with something that's uncomfortable, and this wasn't just uncomfortable, this was unimaginable, you know, rather than block it out, you said, you acknowledged it. It's like, yes, this is going on. And then said, okay. And that is so important on an individual level, on a community level, on a group level, on a team level. And I can't underscore that enough in terms of how I see that as being so important because I think that that was part of a big part of the success too, because then you're not fighting it. You know, it's like you've acknowledged it and you're able to put it in the box because unless you acknowledge something, it's, it just keeps coming up and then it gets in the way. So for me, that was huge. That was huge. And, uh, you know, lots to, I want to give other people a chance, but that was one of the things, a big thing that uh, stood out for me. I do. 
was thinking about a lot of the conflict photographers that we deal with and we've interviewed. Uh, they now have to undergo a trauma training so that they're prepared for anything that comes along. And if you're not going into that kind of work, I keep thinking about my own photography or other photographers where you do as much research as you can. And then when you're on the scene, you've done everything you, you possibly can. There's a saying that luck is when preparation and opportunity meet. Then you just kind of go into a subconscious level where you're hardly even thinking about what you're doing. And that's when you accomplish the most very often. Well Absolutely. Said. Ryan, I, I want to switch gears a little bit if we can. And um, you went through three Olympics, which is a lot for any athlete, right? And you went from um, really not playing the team, not not scoring well at all in the first Olympics to winning the gold in your final Olympics. What was the difference between each one? Because a lot of the players were the same, weren't they? Um, there were, there were a few core guys that were the same. Um, th that was probably one piece of it. We had the right mix of talent, which you hear a lot mm -hmm. of organizations talk about how, People are going through, there's a talent war out there, right? Organizations are constantly trying to attract the, the right talent and re retain the right talent. And I, I don't think it was much different in what, I've, what I experienced. I mean, our team in Sydney was it had a lot of really good individual talent, but I don't know if it was the right mix of players to create the right team function. And so... I would probably say the biggest dynamic that was changed between my first and, and Beijing was just the overarching culture of the team was very different. And that stemmed mm -hmm. also from our, our coach, you know, the leadership that, that he was able to instill uh, the work that I do now. We always say that culture will always reflect leadership, it, it, that whether fair or not doesn't matter. Culture always reflects leadership. Um, and so, we we needed that type of coaching, that type of leader to instill in us an, an ability for us to, to truly believe that we could be the best in the world. Because another thing that I was thinking about during that flight back from Sydney was, holy cow, the difference between the team that won gold in Sydney and to us was astronomical. The, the performance difference, the, the play difference. And I was thinking, I don't know if, We'll, we could ever get to that level to be able to compete at, at, at that level to, to, to try to win a gold medal. Um, but there were little pieces along the way that allowed us to put the right plan together, get the right leader in place and establish and create the right culture um, to be able to produce that type of performance. But everything had to change. Right. Because you can't keep doing the same things and expect a different outcome. Right. We all know the definition of insanity. And so Everything, if, if we're in last place, then the thought process goes, everything has to be different. Otherwise, we're just going to continue to produce last place. Even if we've got- And everyone was on board talent. with that? Everyone no. was on board with that, <laughs> No, but yeah. the right people were on board and the right people were, were on the team. And that's another mm -hmm. function of, of the coach and the, and the coaching staff being able to identify who are those right people because- 12 people go to the Olympics, but we had 50 guys in our gym and a lot of guys that had a lot of really good talent. 
but you've got to put the right pieces together to create the right culture to produce the types of outcomes. And so we had to change everything, the way we trained, the way we ate. We brought in a sleep doctor who would teach us how to sleep right when we were going through all these time zones around the world. Oh, we had I a need nutritionist. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, had, it, we had all these people telling us. What else? Maybe I'll be an Olympic athlete. What else do you yeah. got? <laughs> uh, and, and so we, I think we just, again, going to, 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 to Susan's comment, it's another acknowledgement of reality. Look, if we want to hop higher level of performance, we've got to be, we've got to commit to a different way of producing that higher level of performance because the same thing we've done before, it wasn't working. And so we've got to do something different. And so I think if you went into the gym and saw us training for 2000 versus the way we trained in 2008, you'd have seen some very stark differences and you would have seen a, a team coming together in a different way. Because we knew, like the Navy SEAL captain, is under those times of pressure. And by the way, in the Olympics, there's a lot of times of pressure, especially when you're dealing with an un uncontrollable circumstance like the tragedy that we that we were confronted with. But our ability to just kind of lean back on the way we've we prepared, you know, I, I coached um, Division One men's college volleyball for a year, and I came to a really interesting conclusion when I coached there was that. As, as a coach, your job is to prepare the people that you're coaching to go perform. When the performance is happening, you don't have a lot of control around what's happening like you do when you're, when you're preparing. And that's why it's really interesting that we were able to perform at such a high level in Beijing without a head coach because there wasn't really so much that he was going to be able to do at that time. All the work that we put in beforehand is what we were executing on at that time. And so I'm not saying that it wasn't beneficial to not have a head coach on the sideline. Of course it is because there, you can do in-game strategy and things like that. But in the end, it was more about our ability to go out and execute, go out and perform and to perform at the highest level that we could. At that point, there really wasn't too much that he was going to be able to do to allow us to be able to do that even better. That was on us at that time. You know, it reminds me of the phrase when you were talking about the differences that you had to make from the first one to the to the last one was this phrase of um, practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. You know, oh, sometimes yeah. people just practice and they're practicing it wrong and that's right. how they're going to do it. So, you know, and when you were saying about that, like at that moment, the, the first time you did it where you didn't win anything and, and the changes that you all needed to make because you needed to do things differently and you changed, you know, the way that you were practicing in the gym and you're sleeping and all of that. And so. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, there was a book. I love how you were open. There was a book about that. I think it was, I think it's called Practice Perfect. I, I can't remember, but there was a book that talked about that. Brian, I loved how you and your your teammates were open to really examining everything, everything from the inside out and outside in and saying everything is up for grabs. Everything is up for a change. And to get everyone on board is no small task because I know that just wanting to do that level of change within yourself is really hard, but getting a whole team of people to do it and the entire organization and the coaches to do it, that's a huge lift. So the fact that everyone was so open to trying all of these new things, it wasn't just 
new training, new volleyball training. It was also all these other things, as you said, with the food and the sleep and everything else. I mean, that's huge. I mean, talk about vulnerability. You're saying we're going to try anything. Right. You know, I don't want to say this as a good thing, but maybe it was because up to that, that point, none of us had experienced the type of success that we wanted. And so there was this almost this needed buy-in to, to try something different because what we'd done in the past wasn't, hadn't worked. And another thing that was really important about those four years leading into Beijing is early on in that quad, we call the four years a quad. And um, our head coach actually got us in a room and sat us down and we actually crafted a mission statement, which I'd never done before. And in fact, when we got into the room, we started doing that. We were all kind of looking at each other like, this is really stupid. Like, why are we doing this? And the statement actually became kind of our our plant the flag kind of moment during that quad because we all kind of signed this petition saying that we were willing to to kind of jump in and 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 park our egos and figure out what it was going to take for us to come together as a team and perform at the highest level possible to be successful. And I was at another conference, actually, and this this one really stuck out to me, too. I believe it was the CEO of Arby's. This is a number of years ago. And they, this was the quote. They said, people will work hard for money, which we all know. People work harder for good leaders. That's why organizations spend billions and billions of dollars on leadership development, because good leaders produce better employees. But people will work hardest for a cause or a purpose. Yeah. That's why people dedicate their time to nonprofit organizations. That's why they volunteer their time and, and money and resources to things that they're passionate about. They don't do it to get anything back because all they're doing is giving, giving, giving because they believe in this particular cause. And so I think this mission statement really created a cause for us on our team and provided us an ability for us to be fully bought in and invest during these years to because that's what it was going to take. And we all kind of knew that it was like, look, we've got this big performance gap. We knew that we were going to need to be able to buy in and really invest as an entirety of a team in order to be successful. And I think this mission statement provided us that that cause, that purpose, that that enabled us to really grasp what we were trying to do in Beijing, even under uncircum, even under tragic circumstances. It wasn't going to break it. Hey, Brian, do you remember some of the things that were listed on that mission statement? I'm, I'm thinking in my head, and, and Allison, you might find this hysterical, the, the contract at Sleepaway Camp that they make all the kids sign. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. To, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And then put on the board, right? Or in every third grade. And I'm, you know, thinking to my, Brian, how old, how tall are you? I'm six, eight. 
Six, eight. So I'm, you know, I'm envisioning in my head these guys that are around six foot eight signing yeah. this big post-it note with a <laughs> mission statement and they put it on the wall of the gym. Do you remember far, some of those? <laughs> right? You know, I just you know, keep going back to your story about growing nine inches in two years because that <laughs> happened to my little brother. And uh, so he went from, you know, short and skinny to six, five and built like a football player in two years. And he constantly knocked me over because he didn't know how big he was. Um, but I, I also just keep thinking about this idea of um, our coaches and, and, and that's it. How in some ways they have very little to do with when we're actually competing. Um, nowhere near to your level, um, but I was uh, I was a Division One uh, fencer in college, and you know um, that that was absolutely it. And it, it because I do a lot of work on uh, parenting, and I also you know educate medical students. I mean, that's what that kind of training is about, right? That's what medical training is about. Is that so when? You're in the situation, you know, you're ready to go without me at your shoulder. And ultimately, that's what raising our kids is about. Is so one day they'll go out there without us, you know, hovering and coaching and, and hopefully know what to do. Right. Yeah, it's so true. I'm, I'm glad that you were able to tie all that, all those aspects together, because I, I totally agree. When it's when it's when it's showtime, I used to tell my players when I coach when it's showtime, the only thing I really have control over is a couple timeouts that's it if the other team has momentum maybe i can call a timeout to stop or break that momentum but when it's showtime when you guys are on the court it's about what you guys have prepared yourself to go do and and ruth going back to your question i mean i think the biggest thing for us on that mission statement was something that we hadn't done up to that point which was write out and and also align and invest in the actual saying that we were going to be the best team in the world. Mm. You know, before you you would say, yeah, I want to win. I want to be successful. I want to be the best team in the world. Ha 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 ha. Because you kind of knew how hard that task really was. So it wasn't really something that you put a stamp on, but our coach during those four years would tell us all the time in practice, guys, we're, we're you put in a great effort today. We're going to be the best in the world. And after you hear that a few times and then create an actual statement and put your name to it, it, it becomes, it takes on a different life. And you almost, you almost, it almost becomes a little bit of part of your professional identity at that time, which I think we really needed for from a mental, from a mindset standpoint, we needed. I'm curious, was it worded, we are the best team in the world or was it, we are going to be? I'm just kind it of was, curious. It was forward looking at okay. at the actual Olympic link. Cause I mean, in the sport of volleyball, the Olympics is the pinnacle. There are plenty of other tournaments that allow you to get to that point. There's the world championships and the world cup and all those big tournaments. But for us, it was about being the best in the world at the Olympic games. Which was practicing. So that that's practicing. perfect practice right? mentally. That's right. You know, we are, go- we are the best world in the Olympics. And so, right. you know, and I, I just keep thinking about, when you, when uh, Ruth, you asked the question, did the, or you actually said, Ryan, that people would ask you as a team after the tragedy happened, did you all come together and say anything? But I can't help but wonder what was in each of your minds. Cause in some ways you just were in like, it was this tragedy that happened. So it's like shock almost. And then you did go into, 
almost automatic. And all of the training, as you said, and that quote about sinking, you know, down that you guys just went into automatic and, and it couldn't even think about it because now you had a double, a double thing happen, right? Being in the Olympics is big enough, but now there's this tragedy on top of that. And so right. it's kind of interesting in terms of the way you all went into kind of just go and, and, yeah. and being the world at the Olympics that was underneath, you know, in your, in your subconscious, unconscious, and, and that's how you performed. It's a wonderful story. I mean, it's, 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 and was everybody okay? Everybody came out of it healthy in terms of um, the family? Was it, did you yeah. I mean, Tragically, uh, the you know the father-in-law has passed, but um, the, the his mother-in-law is still alive to this day and, and continues to live. And and his wife, um, they actually moved. Uh, he he left the national team and then went on to coach. He's the head coach of the University of Minnesota for the women's volleyball program there, which actually I, I believe his wife played at the University of Minnesota. She's from there. Their family's from there, so they got to kind of move closer back to home, which was great for him and, and for his family. So. Yeah. And we're still very close. He and I, in fact, um, he was my, he was my, he's been my coach ever since my first year of college. And so when my first year, my freshman year of college, he was on our coaching staff. Uh, he was one of our assistant coaches. Then I, I transitioned over the national team and he was our assistant coach in Athens. For, so he was on our coaching staff in Athens. And then after Athens, uh, he, he took over the head coaching job and then just did this masterful uh, job of, of preparing us for Beijing. And then actually right after Beijing, he, he stopped coaching the men's side and moved over to the women's side and coached the women's Olympic team in London and helped them win the, the, the silver medal in, in London. And so he's, wow. he's a phenomenal volleyball coach, just phenomenal and great leader and great person too, which, which obviously helps in all of that. And I love how you've had the same person from the time you were 5'10" through six, eight, yeah. <laughs> right? over all of those years. And I really want to talk about some of um, the way you guys communicated, because in, in our real world, we fear feedback, right? Every time someone says, can I give you some feedback? Everyone sort of puts their defensive armor on because I have to brace myself for what they're going to say. And I have to defend myself where Every single high achiever I've spoken to, and this is especially true with the Olympians, they crave that feedback from their coaches. They need that feedback because anything that those coaches can say to them will make them faster, stronger, higher, whatever it is, faster. So can you tell me a little bit about that special relationship that an Olympic athlete has with a coach and how have you then transferred that to your post-Olympic life? Because a lot of the people who are here on the panel also are coaches in different forms as well. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as, as athletes, you know, starting, I started playing volleyball in junior high, then went on to high school, then college, then the national team professionally. And every time you go to the next level of performance, the margin of the margin of of talent becomes increasingly smaller and smaller. So when you're at the Olympic level, you're playing against other other players that are as good as you are, or oftentimes even are younger, are faster, are stronger, are you know that can jump higher. So what you're constantly asking yourself is, how do I continually make up any difference, or how do I continually create? a little bit more margin for myself to continue to say 
to stay at, at, at a level of performance that is great. Because I, I ask a lot of coaches, what do they think the difference between really good players and great players are? And I get a lot of different answers. But in my mind, what separates the really good players from the great players are the ones that are able to be great over long periods of time. That they're able to sustain greatness because somebody can be great for a year or two and be really mm-hmm. good, and then you don't see them anymore. That happened a lot. But to be able to be great over multiple Olympic cycles is something that's really hard quads. to do. Multiple quads. Thank you. <laughs> I um, pay attention. <laughs> a massive part of being can sustain greatness is the ability to be coached. And, and because oh, so it's to be coached, the ability to be coached is what you're saying. Here's the oh, thing. If I'm a really great player and I've got a ton of talent and I've got all the athletic gifts in the world and I only have my blinders on around what I can do in my athletic ability. And I don't, I don't soak in the perspectives of other people that are seeing things differently than I am. I'm leaving a lot of my development on the table. I'm leaving a lot of my growth on the table. It's yeah, something so I tell my, my students, you know, yeah. uh, I say, guys, this is the difference. You can be a good doctor or you can be a great doctor and great doctors um, are always curious and they're always looking to reevaluate what they're doing and update their knowledge, you know, and, and, and that's it. It's, it's so easy to become defensive, but as soon as you do that, and as soon as you close to constant, new information and growth, you're, you stagnate. Um, and yeah, I was just thinking about the first photo workshop I took when I was very young and this photographer who's still around and this fabulous teacher said, everybody put up your best work and I'm going to rip it apart. Cause if I don't do that, I'm not helping you. So many people want to just get people, have people compliment them and say how good they are. And if you, you really need to get that criticism so you can get to that other level. And I've since studied a lot of photographers work and taken various workshops, which I highly recommend. And each one of them is in my head in that little subconscious so that when I'm out working or other people are out working, you've got it's like a file drawer and you can like open it up and you've got that little bit of information. So it's not just one coach. It's a lifetime of that you can get from anyone. Absolutely. Susie, it's so interesting that you said that because another common thread with all high achievers is that they're constantly learning. Even if they have reached the pinnacle of whatever success is in their field, the, the Nobel, the gold medal, whatever it is, they're still looking for ways to get better. They're constantly learning and they're learning in different ways. So do you guys have any ways that you learn now? I mean, you've gotten your degrees, you've, you've reached the, the height of your success. How are you guys learning now? Ruthie, I'd like to circle back with Ryan to when his coach came up with the mission statement to get yeah. the team to sit down together and make a mission statement. So, you know, as you said, Ryan, you're all sitting there looking at each other. This is stupid. What's he talking about? Um, when I'm working with people on getting aligned with their convictions, first they have to find out what they are. A lot of people don't yeah. even know what their convictions are. And so putting those together in the first place. So it's very interesting listening to you speak about the entire process and where you were and then the mission statement and then you guys all committing to this and then you had this conviction 
that, you know, we are going to win. We are the best. And this was put into you and you went forward with that. It's so beautiful. It's really, really beautiful story. Thank you for sharing and thank you for being here. Yeah, that's, it's great. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, it, it almost provided us an identity that we lacked. Mm-hmm. You know, right. we all kind of knew that we wanted to be successful, but to actually say it and, and invest in it and align around something common, uh, it provided a little right. bit of a different type of identity for us, which was which was huge. Yes. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well done. I remember Jana actually. Um, so many of you have, have heard that Jana and I go way, way, way back. We, we were actually competitors. Our institutions were competitors, but we became friends. And those of us who were doing the job for a very long time, instead of having the rubbery chicken with the 300 other conference participants would go to a restaurant off site, very fancy, um, and she gave us a name, she gave us titles, she gave us tiaras, and she gave us a mission statement. And we all had to say if we were on board or not. And Ryan's story just reminded me of that mission statement from all those years ago. Yeah, I guess we did the same. But I still want to know, I'm not going to let you guys get away with how is it that you guys are learning now? Because I know you guys are. So I'm really excited. This month, I'm taking a course on evolutionary medicine, which I've been puttering around with, but uh get to dive into that. And then another fun way to learn is um, writing book reviews because you get to read people's books. And because you owe an, a review, you have to actually read the book. Um, so that's lots of fun. Um, but of course, my very favorite way to learn things is by talking with people. And that's why I love being here every Monday night. I love it. I'm the same way. <laughs> yeah, Bruce, I'm dying to know how you learn. It's always important to ask how you could have done something better. You know, even like, you know, the other day I made this great piece of avocado toast. And I <laughs> thought you couldn't possibly make better avocado toast. I thought I'd reached the pinnacle, you know, sort of the gold medal of, of avocado toast. But then I asked myself, you know, how could this actually be better? And what could I have done differently? And I actually surpassed that. So... <laughs> Ryan, Bruce has an MD from a fancy Ivy League school and an MBA, and every single week he talks about avocado toast. I don't know how he does it. Avocado toast is really tasty, especially if you perfect it. So I'm I'm curious about that. Yeah, Ryan, I wanted to add to your list. You mentioned you know some people work for money, some people work for. Um, you know, a cause, you know, there's also avocado toast. That's another thing. <laughs> that could be your cause. <laughs> well, I'm like Allison. I, I, everyone knows that I'm an avid reader. So I'm constantly trying to read new things. And the same thing with all the, the, the book reviews, people are constantly sending me books and I love it because first of all, I get to read it before everyone else, um, which is very cool. Um, and that's how I also meet really great people, such as the guest we had last week, Martin Lindstrom, who talked about common sense. I actually read his book and covered it, but I also, I don't know that I have it in me anymore to sit through long classes anymore And I have become obsessed lately with LinkedIn learning where they have 20 minute courses, 40 minute courses. And I do it while I'm doing other things, laundry or cooking dinner or whatever it is where I have it playing in the background because there's all these new skills that you can learn to fine tune things. And then I will actually um, learn from talking to people. And I love 
talking to people who are from different fields. Because if I only talk to people who are in my own field, it's going to be, you know, more preaching to the choir. But and that's why I love this group. And that's why I insist that we have people from so many different industries here every week, because there's always something new to learn from these people, always. And I'm picking up different fields and different ideas of how things are done in other fields. Maybe one day I'll even perfect the avocado. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Toast. But there's so many things to learn. And I think that's what I love so much. And I'm, I'm so excited that we can bring in all these guests all the time. Um, so there was a question that came in about how much LinkedIn learning cost. Um, you need the premium account. However, Here's a tip. A lot of companies actually have corporate accounts and then you can get it for free. So if you have a corporate email or an education email, you can just find out about that. Susan, you had a question? Well, I was actually going to just say ditto to in terms of what you were saying about the learning, um, talking to people and as well as teaching. And some of you know me um, from my weekends. I'm a real nerd and I love to spend my Saturday nights both having fun with you know, talking about avocado toast and hedgehogs and TOs. But I also love to listen to people. And, you know, what, what I do is we have intellectual discussions or presentations by people in different, um, in different professions. And I love listening. And in every conversation, I try to be really open. Plus teaching. And I teach an intro course to psychology. And even though I've been in this field and took that like a very long time ago, I, I really learn by teaching because it's challenging when I have to teach that to others as well. And, um, and sometimes it's going back to those basics where now, after all the years of experience, it forces you to think about things a little bit differently because you can go back to the basics and go, oh, and you see it. So when people say, oh, you know, I have students that say, I already, I already learned that in another class. I'm like, no, you know, this is, you, you, you can, I could take intro to psych again. And always learn something. So, yep. so you just have to be in the right in the right frame of mind because you can learn everywhere all the time, right? Teaching is learning twice. Yeah, right. I always find that the more I can surround myself with people from different cultures, disciplines, and generations, yeah, the further forward I can move. I have uh, younger people around me. And I've learned a lot from them. Uh, one of the most recent things is Clubhouse which I've joined and I think we'll be partnering with the history club most likely. And so I'm rethinking everything that we do at photo wings and how that could be repurposed for a whole different platform 
and uh, experience. So it's it's re re uh, setting this. They call it setting the stage. It's setting the stage all all over again. You know, Ruthie, you asked about uh, how we're learning now. And yes. the, the topic for tonight was uh, about a coach. Why yep. have a coach, I think. And I have a question uh, for Ryan um, and then an answer to your question. Uh, I just hired another coach. So after I left my position at work, I hired a coaching staff to help me understand how to work in the entrepreneurial world in current time because I had no clue. Social media had come out. Everything changed. So I hired them for that particular period of time, like the last uh, three, four years. So I've learned a lot from them. Now I've moved on to my next coach that's appropriate for where I'm at now. And I'm just wondering with Ryan, uh, that's always what I do is hire a coach who's more expert on what it is that, uh, uh, beyond and above me so I can learn from them and improve and learn more. Um, and I'm wondering, Ryan, do you have a coach now? Do you continue to be coached? Yeah, it's a, it's a big part of the work that we do now. And in fact, we, we do have coaches internally. In fact, we, one of our, one of the things we teach our clients is a culture management tool of feedback and, and creating cultures of feedback within organizations. But to, to Ruth's point, in most organizations and in most people's mind, feedback immediately has got a bad rap. Feedback's mm-hmm. negative. I'm going to hear bad news. Feedback only happens when something's gone wrong, right? And so we've all, mm-hmm. we've all had the experience where your boss says, hey, I need you in my office at 2 o'clock. I've got feedback for you. And, and nobody is like, yes, I can't, I can't wait for that <laughs> meeting because it's, it's going to be so much fun. That's not what people think. They think, right. oh, what did I do wrong? Right. And so when you're trying to create a culture of feedback and the and the 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 definition of feedback is negative or punitive or happening only when something goes goes wrong, you're you're gonna not likely see a lot of people actively going out and looking for more feedback, more coaching. Yeah. And so we we right. help organizations kind of reorient the mindset around what feedback truly is. And we teach organizations and leaders and and teams that feedback needs to be looked at in a different way. It needs to be looked at both appreciatively and constructively. And if I know that the person that's offering me feedback or it's giving me feedback has the intent of helping me be better, which, which I think we all can assume people want to help, right? Nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, I can't wait to go tear a bunch of people down. (laughs) <laughs> That's just not what we do. We can assume that if I ask for help, someone's going to offer help. And so we, we, we try to get people to move away from the term criticism, because if you look at the root of criticism, it means to tear someone down. Why would you ever want to tear someone down? We want to construct. We want to be constructive, which means I want to build you up. So even though you might think that the feedback I'm giving you is negative, that's simply just a filter in your own mind, because in essence, as long as my intention is the right order, I'm just simply trying to help you be better. But exactly. I couple that I couple that with an opportunity to also tell you where you bring value. Mm-hmm. That's massive for people, because another disservice to feedback is if I even if my attention is the best in the world and I only give constructive feedback, people are going to be like, well, I don't ever do anything right. Even though I know Ryan is a good guy and he's trying to help me be better, I don't ever know where I'm doing things right. And I I, I just read an interesting study that talked about talk about retention. Right. The number one reason why people stay in their jobs 
the number one reason why, and I would ask, does anyone have any guesses? Number one reason why people stay in their jobs? Money. They're valued mentorship. No, it's not money. It's interesting. It's interesting. Number one reason why people leave their job is their manager, right? Number one reason why people stay in their job is because they know that their work is valued. Nice. How, How do people know that their work is valued? People are consistently showing them that they're bringing value. And I think if you can bring those two aspects to feedback, to coaching, um, clear examples of where you're bringing value and constructive opportunities where you can be doing things better, differently, less of, more of, whatever it ends up being. If you can combine those two things and start shifting and reorienting the mindset of people that have around feedback, to it's not positive, negative, or, or just simply negative. It's positive, positive. And if I see feedback as me knowing where I bring value and opportunities where I can be doing things better, I'm going to be craving it all the time. And I I just, that's what we try to help organizations get to. And it's tough. It's tough to move that boulder because people have ingrained beliefs about how feedback is. And it takes deliberate effort and practice to, to make that shift culturally. Maybe they need a mission statement. (laughs) (laughs) Worked for us. (laughs) Hey, Ryan. Ryan, I know you have a big surprise for us. You have a little something to show us. And Debbie, behind the scenes, can you you make Ryan big? Oh, I'm big. (laughs) Big. (laughs) Here's the goods. I see Susan big. No, I see Susan. Susan's big. That's all right. Susan, you look. There you go. Say hi. Wow. Gold right there. That uh, is Olympic gold. That's the front there. Beautiful. So the light's kind of catching it. There it goes. So that white, that white ring right there is jade stone. So the you know it's very Chinese. The the they got to um they got to craft what the what the metal looks like. And so I think they wanted to put some jade. And normally you Mm -hmm. think jade stone is green. But white jade is actually very rare, very expensive. And so right. they put the white jade on the gold medals and the silver medals had a little bit more of a green tinge to it. And then the bronze medals had uh, a, a more of a normal jade color. So and sure and another thing that's interesting it. about medals is the back of the medal actually is the same on every Olympic medal. It's the Greek uh, goddess of Olympia. And so that symbol is on every Olympic medal. And then the organizing committee gets to design what the other parts of the medal look like. So, wow. I'm trying to buy a medal online. I should look at this. Show everyone, isn't it pretty thick also? It's it's got some good weight to it. If you were to feel it, people always ask me, like, is it heavy? And I'm like, yeah, it's pretty heavy. Like, you, you can knock someone out with this pretty easy. So, so Ryan, when when your wife tells you it's time to clean the house, do you just put the metal on and you know, get the vacuum out? <laughs> no, no, no. When she asks me it's time to clean the house, I say yes, yes, honey, right yes, away. <laughs> so you, you, you do you wear your metal when you do it? <laughs> uh, no, I'm like phobic about it. I feel like if I wear it too much, I'm going to bang it on something or break it. Or I do, I do. I'm like OCD about knowing <laughs> where it is at all times. Like I have to know exactly where it is at all times. And so I've kind of got some secret spots in a couple bags. And then th- this, this, uh, this is a shadow box behind me. I'm trying to use my finger. Yep. Uh, it, it's a shadow box and also it sits in there. 
Um, there's some tickets to the gold medal match. And then there's a photo of me playing in the gold medal match. And there's also the box that they actually give you is, is in there as well. Um, and you can, the gold medal kind of just hangs and sits in the box. It's kind of cool looking. And I can, you can kind of like, it's got a hinge, the shadow box, so you can open it and close it so I can take it in and out as I need it. So. Love it. So now you guys have all seen Olympic medal. That is awesome. Thank you, Ryan, for showing no that. No problem at all. And we love your stories. We're going to have to have you come back because I think we We'd have just scratched the surface here. Guys, our time has ended, but I really want to hear how we can all follow up with you and hear more. So tell us, everyone, where can we find you, starting with Dr. Susan Burnstone? You can you can find me on LinkedIn, on Facebook, and you can email me at drsusanburnstone at gmail.com. And thank you, Ruth. And thank you so much, Ryan. This has been fabulous. And it's great to meet you and just hear about this incredible story. And I look forward to the book that Ruth is coming out with, as well as some of your collaborations. So thank you. Thanks. It's exciting. Jenna Marie Tutalman. Yes, I can be reached on LinkedIn. I can be found on Facebook with my full name, which is there on the screen. And in addition, uh, email is thecatalystforclarity at gmail.com. Thank you. Susie Katz. So you can find me on photowings, P-H-O-T-O-W-I-N-G-S dot org. I gave a presentation on the Mentor Project. So if you go to One Hour with a Mentor, uh, you can uh, find me there. Some of my work is in there and uh, my personal work and also about photo wings. And my Susan Katz photography website has just a few pictures rolling around, but you can see some of my work there as well. Which is gorgeous work. And I know Alison Escalante, Dr. Alison Escalante had to uh, jump off, but just uh, look her up on her website, Should Storm shitstorm.com and uh, you'll see her TED talk there as well. Dr. Bruce Wiley. Uh, you can find me in front of this brick wall. Uh, so just look for me in front <laughs> of that. avocado toast. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but also, uh, yeah, if you uh, Google Bruce Wiley, uh, make sure you include the Y because there's a, there's a rumor that there was someone else named Bruce Lee, but I'm not sure. It hasn't been confirmed yet. Um, <laughs> and uh, so Bruce Wiley, uh, you can do uh, Bruce Wiley Forbes. Uh, if you want to look at some of my articles and on Twitter, I'm at uh, Bruce underscore Y underscore Lee. And my website is BruceWiley.com. Wonderful. Thank you. And our Olympic champion, Ryan Millar. How yeah, you, you can you him? can uh, you can find me on LinkedIn as well, Facebook as well. I'm pretty active on Instagram as well. Um, Instagram is at Ryan Millar nine. It's M I L L A R. It's a little unique. Uh, nine was my number on the Olympic team. And uh, any volleyball fans that are listening, I host a really good volleyball podcast. It's called the CrossNet Volleyball Podcast, and uh, that's a lot of fun. If you search. Cross Net Volleyball Podcast. Wherever you get your podcasts, you can listen to my volleyball podcast. It's uh, that's a lot of fun, and um, so it's yeah, good. I can vouch for that. Yeah, we <laughs> I had I had Ruth on the show. It was it was amazing. It was fun stuff. Thank you. Yeah. I am Dr. Ruth Gotian. I can be found. My website is ruthgotian.com. You can also find me on all the social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. It's just my name, Ruth Gotian. I also write for Forbes and Psychology Today. 
tomorrow's article, my articles come out in Forbes every Tuesday, you'll hear about Patty Beach's new book on alignment. So go check that out. Forbes, just uh, look for my name. Behind the scenes, we have the incredible CEO of The Mentor Project, Dr. Debbie Heiser, who's making us all look gorgeous and keeps the wheels in motion and the trains going in the right direction. <laughs> Guys, this the audio for this comes out on The Mentor Project podcast every Sunday. So while you won't be able to see Ryan's gorgeous gold medal, you can hear these great stories and great tidbits and great insights. So wherever you get your podcast, go look for The Mentor Project. Please subscribe, leave us a rating and review so other people can find us as well. Apparently, I'm told we have quite the following. So I am really excited that people are learning and wanting to be high achiever or or more high achieving. So thank you for joining us each and every week. We are going to have more surprises with more special guests and maybe Ryan will join us again. Thank you, everyone. Bye, guys. Good night. Bye. Thank you to all of our listeners and sponsors who've made this podcast possible. You can find out more about Dr. Ruth Gotian to optimize your success. Live events held every Monday at 8 p.m. EST by going to our Facebook page at The Mentor Project. I am Jack Scott, the Chief Operations Officer here at The Mentor Project and the host of Meet Your Mentor, which posts every Wednesday. If you're interested in working with The Mentor Project, please reach out to us by going through our website at mentorproject.org. We look forward to seeing you back here next week to learn more about how you can optimize your success. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 